So I'm not sure uh, how you found out uh, about the Newtown tragedy, but um, I can tell you that uh, I found out uh, at school, in between classes, uh, I was checking my phone and I saw on the feed uh, that uh, there's a tragedy uh, in Newtown at a school, that there's a shooting. And unfortunately, uh, what happened is my initial response was, wow, you know, another shooting and in Connecticut, geez, that's horrible. Um, that's a bad response because I've already been conditioned in this day and age to not be all that surprised about a shooting in a school. It was horrible. And so it wasn't until later that I found out that children were involved. Uh, and so on my way home, uh, I'm uh, driving in the car, listening uh, to the radio, and just hearing uh, just the, the, the awful news. And, you know, nothing really clear at that point, but just knowing uh, that children were murdered. And so, uh, so I came home, and uh, when I came home, uh, I saw my wife, she was, uh, saw Julie, she was watching TV, and uh, of course she had the, the news station on, and was uh, getting all the details, uh, at least what few that there were. And so I was uh, making some lunch and listening at the same time, and uh, a few bites into my lunch, I just, uh, you know, went in the other room with Julie, and I said, hey, uh, you know, we got to pray. We, do, we just got to pray. I don't know what to do. And so about two words into our prayer, you know, we just start weeping. And we just start, you know, bawling. Just upset. Heartbroken. You know, for these children that had their lives cut short. In such a senseless and reckless and violent way. And just relating that, you know, to our own family and to friends and people that we know. With children that are the same age. And, uh, so difficult. It was just a flood of all types of emotions. And the message this morning uh, is focused on our response as Christians in the wake of this tragedy. What do we do with those emotions? How should I react? What's the right way to react? How do I pray? What do I pray for? How do I handle the confusion, the despair, the anger? Is there a reason to hope? So our focus this morning is going to be on the Christian's response. How do I respond to this? Where is a good way to take this? Because faith in Christ will not decrease the pain. And anyone that's lived any amount of time as a Christian knows that. Just because we have faith in Christ, it doesn't decrease the pain. But it will keep the pain from paralyzing us. From incapacitating us. From being able to do anything else. So the message this morning, we're going to look at and evaluate suffering and evil and what our response should be. We're going to do this by looking at three questions. And certainly, after uh, an evil event and tragedy like this, there's going to be a lot more than three questions. But we're going to take a look at three tough questions. And the title of the message is Tough Questions in Tragic Times. Because these tragic times produce a multitude of questions, and um, a lot of them 
may get a tough answer or we may get no answer at all. And so us as Christians who are called to be salt and light, what is our role? How do we respond? Where do we go? How do we pray? Where is God? So we're going to look at some of those things this morning. So before we take a look at these three questions, we're going to look at all of this through a biblical lens. We have to see this all through a biblical lens. And in our Bibles, uh, we've already turned to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But the biblical lens that we look through, because we are Christians, because we have a biblical worldview, what we believe is that we believe we live in a sinful and fallen world. As it says in Romans 5.12 and Romans 8.20-21. That sin has entered this world through Adam. And that, in fact, creation is moaning and groaning for the day that it will be set free from the captivity that it is in. And if people have a hard time, you know, understanding that we live in a sinful world, one only has to look at Columbine High School, the mall, sh- mall shootings not too recently, the movie shootings, the Batman movie, um... More shootings in Colorado, West Virginia. There's actually stabbings in China. 22 people. It happened the day of uh, this tragedy in Newtown. School shootings in the USA since 1996. I think there's been 34 of them. We live in a fallen and sinful world. There's a lot of evil. And it's hard to wrap our heads around it when we try to understand it. That's the difficult part, is trying to understand. Trying to understand how somebody can go into a school and murder six and seven-year-olds. It is sick. And it's really difficult to understand. It's because there's sin there. It's a sinful, fallen world. And sometimes these things happen. And also throughout the Bible, we see evidences of these sins, even regarding children. This isn't the first time that children have been victimized. And so with that being said, in this sinful fallen world, the first question we're going to look at is, what do we do with the confusion and despair? Because chances are, our reaction will have confusion, and it will have despair. We will feel confused. Where is God? What is He doing? Despair. We feel helpless. We don't know what to do. And so the question that really kind of piggybacks that and falls underneath that is, since God, the God that we believe in, is omnipotent and omniscient, Why doesn't God move to restrain evil and suffering? Why doesn't God seem to hold back this evil and suffering? All these children died. Where was he? Did it just fall through his fingers? Is he just standing there watching idly? What's going on? You know, one of, uh, certainly one of the heroes that I'm learning about, there's a bunch of heroes in this story, one of the heroes I'm learning about is Victoria Soto from Stratford, actually, about my age. So this woman, 
uh, once she heard the popping going off in the school and she knew everybody was in trouble, she took her students, her little ones, she hid them in the closets, in the cabinets, stuffed them all in there, told them to be quiet, you know, be quiet, get into the cabinets, get into the closet. And there came a knock to the door, gunman came to the door, so where are the kids? She said, they're not here. They're at gym class. And what he did is he shot that teacher right then and there. But that teacher, she saved 20 lives. She saved 20 lives. There's another teacher, I don't know her name, but she did a similar thing where she stuffed the kids in that room and into different areas and hid them. And when she found out the gunman was at the door, she ran over to the door and pressed her chest against it and tried to hold him back from the door. And what he did is he just shot right through the door and killed that teacher. And then the gunman did not come in and shoot any of those children. Another teacher that saved lives. Did you know 9-11, Twin Towers, 15,000 people lived. We know about 3,000 or so died. 15,000 lived. You may remember in 2009, Flight 1549, pilot Chelsea Sullenberger. This was uh, referred to as the miracle on the Hudson. This is when the pilot uh, was flying through the air, hit a, uh, a pack of geese, and damaged the plane. They were going down. It's winter time, and there's ice and a frozen uh, ice chunks floating down the Hudson. Pilot miraculously uh, guided this plane down into the Hudson. There was babies, children aboard. They did not lose one life as that plane crashed into the Hudson, and as they uh, continued rescue efforts to get everybody off of the plane. New York Times, again, referred to this as the miracle on the Hudson. It's amazing. It's a miracle. See, suffering is going to be a part of life, but believe it or not, God is restraining. It might seem like he is not, but he actually is. And in more ways than we may see or know. So that's why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, we read, it says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. It's basically saying that the work of the lawless one, that sin is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so. God will continue to hold it back until he's taken out of the way. Can you imagine this world without the churches, without the saints? And that's who you and I are. As the Bible refers to us as saints and as priests, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and we've called him Lord of our life and we're looking for him to shine through our lives, Bible calls us saints, calls us priests. And it says that the prayers of a righteous man, that's what a saint, that's what a priest is, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. 
it's actually restraining and holding back the darkness. We might not see it. It certainly won't get a lot of press. Many times the devastation and tragedy gets the most press. But there's also another side, a side that many times we could miss. If you read and if you get a chance this week, you can look at Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, where Daniel is praying. He has a request. And he says, God, basically, you know, come to our rescue. Come help us. And 21 days later, 21 days, he gets a response back from God in the form of an angel who comes to him. And he says, you know, the second that you started praying, your words went up to heaven and we heard you. He said, but we were delayed in order uh, to get to you, to answer that prayer, to make moves toward what you are praying. It was delayed by the prince of Persia. Delayed by Satan's kingdom. He was delayed 21 days. And so it may have looked like to Daniel, possibly, that after a week, two weeks of praying, that God didn't care. He's not really involved. He's just a spectator. But believe it or not, there's this whole other world, a whole other dimension that we can't even see. There's whole other forces wrestling and battling. And Satan knows this. And he knows that when we pray, it is powerful and effective. And he's not going to volunteer that information to us. Because he doesn't want us to know the type of power and the type of influence and the type of impact that we are going to have on this world. See, I believe that God is definitely restraining evil and suffering despite what we may see. What we may see may only be part of the story, not the whole story. See, the difficult part is that many people walk by safe and walk by sight, which is not the right way. We as Christians, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. It's a quote from Gregory Boyd. He says, It's very difficult to see how some of the more horrendous episodes of evil in this world contribute to a higher good. And so he's saying, hey, listen, you know, all the bad stuff and horrendous things that happen, things like Newtown, it's really hard to see how this could really contribute to any kind of higher good at all. And so basically his conclusion is, you know, they don't. These things don't contribute to a higher good. So part of what he says, I agree with. I couldn't agree more that it's really difficult sometimes to see. It's going to be difficult to see how this Newtown tragedy can somehow have good come out of it. That somehow it is attaining to some higher purpose and calling. It may even be impossible to see many times in the suffering. But the real question is not whether... We can see the good or not. But rather, can God do the things we cannot see? See, the question is not whether we can see it or not. Because our view is limited. It's almost like it's blocked in a way. We're not in God's position. But, the real question is, can God deal with and work on the things that we can't see? And if we believe in the God of the Bible... We've got to believe that's true. 
You see, there's a spiritual battle happening. And God is at work doing more than we can even imagine. 